Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And this is the beauty of podcasting, the freedom of the medium. Go compa. Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. Fireworks. Don't muck about. Trees are my pawn. Monkey tennis. Ready, steady, fuck off. Scratch me! Are you being served? Monkey tennis. Excuse me, your dog's taken my dog's stick. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Monkey tennis. Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Generally, I think new ideas are bad. Monkey tennis. Why not consider chips? You must come and stay in the barn. Fuck off. Riddle me that, you nutters. Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Nah. Monkey tennis? From the Oast House. Keep it down, love. Hello and absolutely welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. I'm Adam Brooks and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Nothing refreshes like an ice cold glass of milk. Nick Alder, do it slower. Nothing refreshes like an ice cold glass of milk. Tom Stab, do it sad. Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Tom Dark, do it with a chuckle. <laughs> Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Nick Alder, do it scared. Oh, nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Tom Stab, do it Scottish. Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold <laughs> glass of milk. Tom Dark, do the words backwards. <laughs> Milk of glass, cold, ice, and like refreshes nothing. Nick Alder, do it in a little girl's voice. I'd like you to do it in a little girl's voice. <laughs> nothing refreshes like a nice cold glass of milk. Uh, Tom Stab, do it from the point of view of a glass of milk. <laughs> this is ridiculous. You can't market milk. 
Uh, I'm afraid that's incorrect. The correct answer was nothing refreshes like an ice cold glass of me. Ah, brilliant. He's thought uh, about that. <laughs> so yes, more milk talk later. Um, but, uh, but first, there's the small matter of uh, Alan Partridge's school speech, episode six. We're on to now from the Oast House, uh, entitled "School Speech." Um, and Tom Dark, I believe, takes the baton from me now in terms of being the episode master. Oh yes, I'm feeling the pressure there. doesn't feel good does it (laughs) no i'm suddenly nervous okay guys let's get cracking right as adam says it's episode six it's school speech we've got another cold open straight into alan having a conversation on the phone here absolutely lots of absolutely and absolutely uh the conversation has just been faded down but is still just about audible in the mix uh and that's the sound of alan agreeing with the head teacher on the other line uh agreeing because his views on education largely mirror alan's own so we're listening to alan having a proud partridge conversation there is one crucial difference though they, they do disagree on uh slippering um which just oh, to... oh they absolutely do but it's it's complicated. <laughs> it is complicated i like that i like i like that yeah alan's basically like the head the head teacher's dead against it but alan says i think it's a bit more complicated than that which is a great way of basically making it sound like you've thought about it more uh that you've you know you've developed mm. the idea but more I, I, I think it's simplistic to say to just be dead against it <laughs> he's got nothing so yeah this is the head teacher um alex proud um so I thought it might be worth having a quick review of uh, Alan's dalliances with teachers and the teaching community across the APU before we dive further into the episode. So um, I'll give you guys a rundown of what I've got. Let's see if I've missed anything. So we've got Sweaty Raphael, uh, obviously uh, in The Talented Mr. Alan, Series 2 of I'm Alan Partridge. Interestingly, it's Alan that volunteers to give a talk to the school in that episode, uh, which I think is quite an interesting counterpoint to what transpires in this uh, podcast episode. Uh, you've also got Phil Wiley, uh, responsible for drawing the chalk penis on Alan's back and Alan getting caned. Uh, you have Mr. Craig, who features in Welcome to the Places of My Life, and Alan calls him a cunt. Uh, you have Alan talking in the Forward Solutions chapter in iPartridge. He talks about self-transformation diagnosis, and she writes, when I go into schools and give STDs to kids, I know that I'm really having an impact on the rest of their lives, and that excites me. Uh, in Nomad, he calls teachers blithering scum. And of course, <laughs> in, uh, in this time with Alan Partridge, there is a VT piece on corporal punishment. Uh, have I missed anything there? I don't think so, but no, it's interesting so to either. see how regularly they feature over the years. Um, one thing mm. I noticed with, with the plot of this episode is that I feel like it's, it's a shade too close to the uh, I'm Alan Partridge school. I mean, it's, it's literally the same kind of the same plot point, isn't it? He's, been, he's talking about going into a school to deliver a speech. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So, yeah, uh, the head teacher has asked Alan to come and give a talk to Year 11 pupils about working in the media. But of course, Alan declined. He's a broadcaster, though he can teach, he's not a teacher. You get another great example of Alan, uh, Alan's hatred of the teaching establishment. Teaching, like nursing, is one of those vocations that society feels duty bound to describe as the hardest job in the world when in fact anyone can do it. And he also gives an Uh, an example a reference point here which i think is a bit like we talked about him kind of using hollywood style reference points he talks about uh teach being like a father figure sitting down in a locker room telling you that you believe in them 
That that's his one teaching example. The, it feels like he's taken that from a film he's there, watched. There's also a very subtle gag that they do in the first episodes when Alan's making the nine 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 call, and you can hear the operator say, "Well, actually, what you're doing is wasting police time." Uh, there's a similar use of that in this episode where we hear Alan say to um, Alex Proud um, that he would like to mock a couple of the kids. I don't know if anyone else picked that up, but yes. I, I thought that was great. Just just you can just hear that underneath. Yeah, can't just you? the kind yeah. of the subtlety of the of the joke. I thought was great. Um, so I think we'll probably come back to uh, the negotiations for Alan's school speech because first we have a nice little diversion into the world of uh, voiceover work for the uh, Milk Marketing Board. Um, so what I enjoyed here is that Alan reveals the real reason why he declined the offer of doing this school talk initially uh, is because besides at the time I was trying to close a deal to become the new voice of the North Norfolk Milk Marketing Board so it just didn't make sense to put the interests of some kids above those of my own so that's a real reason he's busy trying to negotiate trying to negotiate some work uh, did you guys note uh, he refers to an almost five-figure contract <laughs> yeah, yeah <very laughs> which I think because it's almost five figures does that mean it's essentially the lowest four-figure amount possible is it just one thousand pounds <laughs> that's what i would assume i mean oh it could be yeah I, I can't imagine that the pockets of the milk marketing board are all that deep to be fair especially if you're uh, employing the services of alan partridge so especially because this is the north norfolk milk marketing board it's not even it, like a national super regional. that sounds to me like a volunteer organization at best so uh, yeah the milk marketing board um, actually doesn't exist anymore um it, it, it was liquidated um uh, bit of a joke but ironically actually true, actually true. <laughs> <laughs> lovely stuff um so as we know alan is uh doing a voiceover saying nothing refreshes like an ice cold glass of milk as we had at the top of the episode he's asked to do it faster punchier with a smile put a laugh in it do it with more of a laugh and then he flips out on the marketing on the uh, dairy executive saying you can't market milk basically you can't market milk someone will just buy it if they want it i did think that this whole kind of section was quite well observed to be honest and you've seen you've seen the kind of uh, ad exec uh, setup uh, in something like um, toast of london where you know ridiculous mm. kind of instructions are being said from behind a you know a, a booth to a poor vo artist that has to suddenly make it punchier faster with a laugh with a smile i thought this was quite a, a nice piece of well-observed writing about how sometimes ridiculous and, and overthought such a simplistic line can be kind of elevated to and I think Alan actually has. I'm kind of with him on this one. one that I am kind as well. Of, the marketing of milk in terms of if someone needs milk, they buy milk. If they don't, they won't. It's like, yeah, because you, I don't think you, you don't care about what the brand is or anything. You go, oh, we've run out of milk. We need some more. That is, that's the transactional value of milk. So I, I think he is bang right here. So nothing anyone in that room is going to do zippity shit to change the mind of a single shopper. Alan, <laughs> I agree. He's right on two points. You can't market milk. I think that's fair. But also he says nobody would laugh while delivering this line uh, because it's just not funny. Why would that's anyone laugh true. at milk? And then I like that he goes into a big, a big a lot of detail about milk, about how it, it can be expressed. It can be, you know, and then he sort of mangles the idea of crying over spilt milk as well. He's like sometimes spilled and there's no point crying over it. Uh, and I also like that when he's kind of recounting how this conversation went for our benefit, he seems to throw in again a kind of a Hollywood edge to things where he's like they never laughed at it buddy boy like like he didn't say buddy boy in the actual meeting did he but he's just added that for flavor now which is fun what i thought was quite interesting about this part as well is that he refers to the sound engineer and the marketing executives by name which i thought was quite surprising particularly so you have the bit where he says find it why would they find it funny why robert why i was surprised that alan would actually know the name of a sound engineer because he doesn't normally make the effort to get to know those that he would consider beneath him 
but I'd found it quite I'd found it quite amusing his use of names as well. John, Clive, Philip. I think it services the joke, doesn't it? It makes it even more ridiculous that he's kind of calling out their names and being so specific to them and going into such great yeah. detail that it's like, I have to tell you, Robert. <laughs> um, and yeah, the, the, the put down on addicts ex um, as well, I also enjoyed about how <laughs> they're, very, they're very much like children and they think they're clever. Basically, there's just a, a kind of general uh, insulting of the advertising um, and creative uh, world in this, which I very much enjoyed. Mm. But crucially, we'll take their money. Oh, God, yeah. Well, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and also talking about the fact that the, that all of this is really just to kind of gloss over their toxic brand because apparently there's bovine feces in the milk <laughs> and they don't want anyone to find out about it. Um, I also like that um, when he was talking about you know things he might have laughed at um, that he's once sniggered at the sheer pomposity of an after eight mint. <laughs> just a nice <laughs> so, bit of flavour. <laughs> yeah, say what you like just about so after eight so. mints, but don't say they're not pompous. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody look into the uh, bovine feces claim? I've seen that claim um, before on mm. uh, uh, many a uh, documentary about the toxicity of the yeah. meat and dairy industry. I can't say, uh, I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying it's a claim I've heard before. Yeah, I mean, I I, I found things basically saying regu- regulatory standards typically provide for low levels of coliform in milk and indicate there is some fecal contamination i just mm. thought you know what it's fine i'll just stick to oat milk thanks and <laughs> always, i don't have to worry about it <laughs> always always barista version though never the normal oh, always, the, uh, always barista goodness yes Tell it always like it barista. is it went shits up <laughs> <laughs> and after all that talk of uh, bovine feces i think it's time to talk bluetooth uh, so yeah it's fair to assume that uh, it went tits up with alan and the north norfolk milk marketing board so he is calling the head teacher back uh, i thought it was a nice little gag that he alan just talks through the list of call commands uh, to make the Bluetooth call whilst he's driving. A nice little nod back to the Inception phone menu gag that we've seen in Midmorning Matters. Um, so, yeah, Alan is now deciding he is going to take this school talk, quite possibly because he's not going to be busy marketing milk anytime <laughs> soon. Um, so the head teacher Alex Proud, he asks for a short talk with a longer interactive Q&A, whereas Alan wants something monoactive or soloactive. He wants an audience primed to receive and not transmit. He also insists that known trouble causes are sent on a cross-country run during the time of his talk. About six miles. That, that should quite, do it. Quite interesting that he's, uh, he's that against the audience uh, transmitting because he has encouraged that on several occasions. The afternoon with Alan Partridge in I'm Alan Partridge, the audience segment in this time, and the uh, book club on uh, open books. He's he's been been sort of involved with audience interaction and not been too badly burned uh, for the most part. But well, he's I would, inconsistent I, in his very nature. I would I would say that none of those went well. So maybe yeah, he's, <laughs> maybe yeah. he's learned his lesson and gone. Maybe an interactive Q and A is maybe not the right way to go. Maybe if I just talk at them and they can't ask any questions. Although there is one question at the end which we'll get to. I enjoyed as well that Alan is keen to make the point that he's giving up his time freely, but he does insist on a press release being issued and a photo shoot in front of the school. So he's going to make sure he's getting full publicity value out of this. As long as he keeps his hands where you can see them. (laughs) Exactly. There's a slightly odd moment that we've just skipped over where um, he uh, sort of runs away with his own imagination and and is imagining saying, get get back in your box, copper, and then uh, blames the fact that he's wearing Doc Martens for the fact that he's become so uncouth. I'm surprised that Alan would wear Doc Martens. That doesn't seem like brand partridge. But that comes up in a later episode, doesn't it, I believe? I can't remember which one. Save it. Yeah, yeah, I guess but... I guess Doc Martins is to, to Alan is like almost like 
dressing like a punk, isn't it? That's 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 extreme <laughs> behaviour that would make you say something like "get back in your box, copper." It, it's two yes, fingers. He thinks he's being yeah, anti-establishment. It's two fingers up. It's yeah, exactly. It, it's that basically. Uh, time to talk showers and shaves. Uh, yes, although after his shower, he, he does tell us there's nothing to report, which is always a relief. <laughs> I do also like the little note, uh, the little detail that Rose has had to sign an NDA. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good little reveal. Yeah, and, and, and that primarily he's glad that he's done that because it means that um, she can hear him sing all the parts of Band-Aid's Feed the World um, without, no, without it getting out. Despite the fact, yeah. even though he's just mentioned it on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Alan says uh, he has a four minute shower to ensure a really clean man. Uh, I did look into uh, the running length of Band Aid. So there are two versions. There's a 1984 version, which is actually less than four minutes, it's 3.43. And there's a 2004 version, which is annoyingly over five minutes, it's five minutes and six Presumably seconds. Presumably so, because they had to let Joss Stone warble for about 30 seconds. I would, I would assume that would be the case. Um, <laughs> But I mean, yeah, j- just just to be a pedant, I, lo- I quite enjoyed the fact that neither of those durations uh, tie up. Um, some fun Spotify facts to dig into quickly. The monthly listeners to Band Aid this month of recording, which is August, were 158,000 in wow. August. Who's listening Staggering. to it? I mean, God knows. Also, I didn't um, know it was written by uh, Midjour. Yeah. Uh, so, question to the group Can you guess how many. How many total listens on Spotify Band Aid 1984 has had? Oh, 244 million. I think Nick might have Spotify open in front of him because it is 244 million. (laughs) I haven't got Spotify (laughs) open in front of me, to be fair. You just said it was written by Midge Ur, so you looked at the song credits. Uh, Yeah, not right now, I didn't, though. Okay, but it's in your notes. <laughs> it's, it's not actually in my notes. I just, I just recalled that. I recalled that. Oh, right. Funny. Um, okay, okay, we're going to put you to test then, Nick. How many listens has the 2004 version had? Uh, I don't know. I just listened to the top one. Seven, seven million. Um, uh, one, one more thing on, on the uh, kind of madness of Spotify. There is clearly some kind of American rapper who is called Band-Aid as well. <laughs> so when you're looking in like the other, other like compilation listings at, at the end of an artist page, you kind of go through things like uh, Ultimate Christmas, Christmas Hits, Christmas Hits 2015, Greatest Hits of Christmas, and then you have uh, Cuddy's Mob Music and Street <laughs> Terrorist. <laughs> Don't the, uh, Christmas. Don't yeah. get the two confused. Um, <laughs> Happy Christmas, absolute yeah. street terrorist. Yeah. Feed the world. <laughs> let them know it's Christmas time, motherfucker. <laughs> Would listen. Uh, Would buy for charity. Whilst we're speaking of uh, showers before we move on, two quick questions to the group based on conversations that have been rife on social media over the last probably year or so. Do you wash your legs in the shower? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I think it's staggering that basically what transpired on social media is a lot of uh, younger people, in inverted commas, uh, <laughs> what do they think want now? All, all, all <laughs> the users of, uh, of Twitter seem to think you don't need to wash your legs in a shower because the water running down will do the cleaning for you. I think the problem there is they're not applying any friction to uh, ensure thorough cleanliness. <laughs> right, this Alan. is a scandal and, that warrants further investigation. <laughs> yeah, I think, and the, the second uh, <clears throat> discussion, which has also been bizarrely rife on social media, was which way do you face when in the shower? Do you face to the shower head or away? Two. So I've always thought that I was a face two, but then when this debate came up, I randomly caught myself and I was like, hang on, I'm facing out. 
mind, mind blown. blown. <laughs> so this um, thing, Tom, Tom and I have been in WhatsApp groups where this has been discussed, so I'm not just making it up that this is a, a hot topic. Jealous well, anyone? Much a, very much a facing the, facing the taps slash wall, but the shower itself is waterfall style, so technically oh, above. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 having had to think about this, I think my, my system is more of a rotate. I'll start off facing and uh, gradually rotate round, ensuring the uh, back is fully <laughs> Full cleaned. circumference. Nick, um, <laughs> as, as head of polls, can we please deploy a poll yes. to our listeners when this episode goes out? Which way do you face when you shower and do you wash your legs? Yep, I'm just making a note of that now, Tom. Um, so, yeah, I'll, yep. I'll get that sorted. Great, so it's going to be taps, legs, uh, wall, legs... Taps no legs, oh, all no legs. <laughs> <laughs> Just laying that out now to avoid any confusion. Yeah, yeah you've, Nick, got, have that, you got that. Do you you've got that down, down, haven't you? Yeah. Taps. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's also there's also the revelation that Alan had a full beard but has shaved it off. Yeah. I mean, there's a bit of a joke here about it being an audio format, yeah. so they don't have to actually go through with it. As far as I know, he's only had a beard on screen once, wasn't it? The 2012 comic relief or one of the one of the mid yeah. middle years of comic relief. Uh, the cream no, of British not a comedy. Relief. It's the um, cream of British comedy. Yeah, like a, oh, a yes. fundraiser thing. Um, just quickly, did, did did you guys make anything of the fact that seldom sometimes strolls in and watches Alan in the shower, slowly bobbing along to the song? <laughs> yeah, I did enjoy. Uh, I enjoyed along. that seldom is quite ambivalent. Uh, he's ambivalent about most things, apart from food. He's very pro food. I, I also like that seldom is just described as this kind of like meandering creature that just roams freely and like he might be in <laughs> yeah. the bathroom, he might be in the kitchen, he might be prowling around the outside of the <laughs> it's grounds. His house. But yeah, it's very much seldom's house that Alan has to kind of you know live with him in but it's seldom's house um can i describe how alan tackles his beard please do Mm -hmm. uh so the line is uh he uh tackle the thicket with nail scissors get it down to a manageable length and then go scorched earth with a bick now (laughs) (laughs) surely tackling the thicket with nail scissors is not the way to go here no that sounds like a recipe for toft city to me yeah um he also says he has to hack it back because he gets irritated after the fourth day of beard growth and has to script 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 which is uh a sound that he's well, onomatopoeic sound, I guess, that we, we've heard before um, yeah. in other partridge scratching work. his bum. Yeah, after day six, the itchy part goes. Uh, he originally tried to grow it so he could shave it at the, the talk, the school talk, as a powerful metaphor. But then he forgot what the metaphor was, so off it goes. <laughs> I think he is like so. Just get yeah. rid. And he he sort of describes himself as almost being like afflicted by an itchy beard. And I love the way that he says, "Well, after day six, it just kind of you know subsides." When in actual fact. That's what happens to most people, right? When you grow a beard, like for the initial kind of three to four to five days, it will be itchy. It's a bit uncomfortable. Then after kind of, you know, a week or so, the, the itching will subside. But he kind of positions it as if he's afflicted by this unique kind of itching <laughs> that no one else will kind of suffer from. The image of him having to tackle it with both hands in the supermarket, yeah. I thought was quite a lot of fun as well. He would ap- look absolutely deranged doing that. <laughs> um, is it time to get a little bit more info about beloved Rosa the Cleaner? Uh, yeah, well, I think this starts with Alan watching Rosa in the garden, and then he tells a little story about asking her if she was performing Tai Chi, and then she brings him a cup of chai tea, which he now drinks. So, uh, yes, but with milk and honey, which surely yes, is not the way you're supposed to drink it. I think it. would ruin it, yeah. Um, and then there's a, a discussion about darning of socks. 
Oh yeah, that he she's he's got holes in his socks, um, and she's offering to darn them, but he's trying to establish whether it's worth the time he pays her yeah. uh, because yeah, he pays up. six pounds an hour. Um, so if they're regular socks, she'd be better off just chucking them, and he can buy some new ones. Uh, but he's crucially, he's not trying to save her any work. He's trying to think of his own cost, his own, cost uh, benefit analysis. Cost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so she's um, only she's only given permission to darn them if they're mm-hmm. merino wool. Do we know anything about who provides the voice of Rosa? Um, I didn't recognise it as being anyone we've heard do voices in Partridge before. Um, um, I mean, often we know that a lot of people who are who call into the radio show and things like that are, are regular, regular characters from Partridge. I in the not to jump ahead too much, but in the last episode, I did keep a little bit of an ear out for um, any names that we recognised, and I didn't recognise any. So, but there was a female cast member listed i've only listened to it once and i, I wasn't making notes at the time so it'll, i'll do it when obviously when it comes to the time so i think it, it must have been her but um yeah so it, it's it's not one of the regular partridge alumni that we've heard over the years that i can recall from from the credits list at the end of the series okay um alan also talks about her wearing an apron that says cook cook cookability now I'm, I, I want to come to the reveal of this in the next episode. But uh, when I was first, when, when I was listening to this, that phrase didn't um, didn't ring any bells to me. I had no idea where no, that was same. going, and I thought it was quite weird the fact there was no resolution to it in the episode as well. So the reveal will come in the next episode. Mm-hmm. He does spread some things across episodes, doesn't he? Like when he went on the date, and then he gave a summary of how that mm. went the following episode as well. What a narrative yeah, arc, get... though, to find out what this missing word is on a cooking apron. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, that's the interesting thing. I wonder if perhaps you're... I feel like you'd probably have to be slightly older to get to get the get the payoff to that gag. We'll get to mm-hmm. it. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. Um, so there's a bit of Twitter, Twitter action here, um, which, so ironically, this is actually starting to become a new regular feature, but arguably it might be Alan is only turning to Twitter when he's running out of content, but he has asked people what they would do to improve schools. Uh, he gives us uh, three responses to this. Agatha thinks uh, they, uh, that school dinners and tuck shops should be abolished. Uh, access to food tightly controlled, so pupils earn access to food with correct answers. Uh, what I enjoyed about that, I thought the tone of that response perfectly mirrored that of the regular callers to his radio show. He seems to have a dedicated listener base of kind of oddballs and weirdos that always seem to have ideas that are that are a bit deranged and bordering on the sinister. Yeah, um, it, t- it, feels, it feels like that could have been a caller to mid-morning matters, you know. Tells you a lot about his appeal, doesn't it? By the sort of people yes. that, that get in touch. And also he says that Agatha inexplicably has included a picture of herself and that he could best describe her as being broad of beam. Yes. <laughs> a uh, nice you then phrase. have... Uh, Wilf, who suggests an elimination uh, I, round I, I the bottom ten percent of each. I had Wolf written down. I wasn't sure if it was, if it was Wolf or Wilf. So we think it's Wilf. Uh, well, I think Wilf is a name. Wolf is an animal, unless if you're off of gladiators. I think in twenty twenty, yeah. it's not Maybe beyond the realms of possibility it, it that someone either. could be. It's not beyond the realms of possibility uh, that someone could, could be could be called Wolf in twenty twenty. Or, or that Wolf from Gladiators might ring into a partridge uh, <laughs> or tweet into a partridge. Uh. Yeah, I mean that's that's also plausible. Uh, well, whoever he is, uh, he suggests that the bottom ten percent of each year group are disqualified, and there are live televised exams on Wembley. I, feel I don't know like about it's, you guys, but for it, some reason, that really made me think of the staring competitions on Big Train. Something uh, very dull and slow-moving being broadcast and played out in front of a huge crowd. That was the kind of visual image I had. It's Yeah, it's brilliant. And also, I like that he talks, he ends this kind of idea with some of the people who are in that bottom 10% uh, could end up doing a number of things, one of which is uh, running errands for the brighter children. <laughs> I feel like uh, it's, it's almost like the most uninteresting Hunger Games, which actually, when you combine it with Agatha's mm. idea... 
could suddenly start to pay dividends in terms of the actual title of the contest. <laughs> and what did, what did you make of the third idea from Tom with an H, aligning schools to UK statutory working hours, enabling children to enter the workforce aged 12? I thought perhaps Alan has read out all three of these ideas because he broadly agrees with them. Uh, yeah, I also think that, you know, in COVID times, suddenly that starts to have real merit. <laughs> <laughs> it's the shot in the arm that we need. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> right, Alan's at school now. He's, uh, he's got nervous. butterflies. Yeah, he's nervous. He's got butterflies of the tummy kind. Um, just a quick aside on... He goes on to describe that he doesn't mean a collection of butterflies pinned through the heart and kept in a brightly lit cellar. I'm not Nicholas Witchell. Thought it's kind of a pointless joke, doesn't really go anywhere, but I kind of enjoyed the Nicholas Witchell as a punchline. And I feel like with, with those sort of jokes, the Gibbons and Coogan could have picked kind of any broadcaster who was at their peak 15 to 25 years ago and it would still work. I would assume they probably have a list of potential names for jokes like that and they play around with it until they find the one they think is funniest. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do things like, oh, well, we've not done Edmonds for a while. We've not done Moira Stewart. So, you know, they've yeah. got like a rolling a rolling yes. list of regular names. Um, I like as well, Alan's nervous and it seems like he suffers from this a lot. Being back in a school setting is very evocative for him of, um, mm. of a lot of the kind of the pitfalls that he fell into when he was actually at school. So he starts reminiscing about uh, that he was once on a road that could have led to prison uh, because he was scrumping apples. Uh, <laughs> burgling making the, trees. Making the point that, yeah, when, when apples when apples are taken, a tree has been burgled. Um, he was in a gang that had secret meetings in a shed, um, but they started to go on a dark path when they wanted to resell empty pot bottles. Um, he had to get out once he realised that he was in too deep, yanking someone's hair for forgetting the password. Uh, and, oh, I Which love was this. one of the hardest things he ever had to do. 
Yeah, but ultimately that he left to spend more time with his family, which is funny for two reasons. One, because he was what, <laughs> probably about 11 or 12 at the time. Yeah. Um, and also because that is just a, a classic like politician's excuse for stepping down or, or, or leaving after a scandal, isn't it? To spend more time with the family. Um, did anybody spot there was a nice little youth hostling reference when he's talking about the gang as well? Um, and I thought I, it did it did amuse me um, when he talks about uh, he was a marked man forever looking over his shoulder after leaving the gang. So it's a bit like, in his mind, he's a bit like Henry Hill leaving the mob in Goodfellas or something like that. I didn't I didn't like this bit very much. It was it went on a bit too long. It didn't do very much for me. I think it's the weakest part of the episode for me personally. It felt a little bit like a lot of it kind of wrote itself, like. Once, mm. once you heard, once he was like, I was on a road that could have led to prison. You can guess that he was involved in some sort of minor non-crime. And then when he yeah. says he was in a gang, you can imagine it will be like a sort of tuck shop after-school gang that didn't actually get up to much. Yeah, I, I think I, I would agree. I, I would have liked to have probably actually heard more about the talk at the school and his interactions with other pupils at the school. Uh, I enjoyed that he opened with, um, okay, hands up, whose dad has an HD TV. One because. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Most people probably do have an HD TV. Um, and secondly, the kind of stunned silence is probably not because the kids don't understand the question, which is what I fear <laughs> he kind of thinks it is. It's more they're just baffled as to why anyone would be asking an assembly of, you know, year 11s what TV their dad has. <laughs> well, I think we should probably just go, but before we uh, go in more depth into the, the speech as well, um, I just enjoyed the interaction that he does have with one of the widest dudes in school. So when he has turned up at the school... Um, he tells us the speech went brilliantly well. Uh, when he arrives, he demands to be taken to the headmaster. Um, he's taken to his office. He interrupts a kid being reprimanded. Um, and he talks about there's harumping, there's sighing. And I love that Alan describes these things as happening, but he's too narcissistic to realise that it reflects negatively on him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, basically, he's with like one of the bad lads of the school, as he would call it. So Alan is instantly thinking he's one of the cool kids striding through the corridors, chewing some gum or gumming it up big time. I enjoyed. Uh, and I've, have you noticed, have, seems to happen quite a lot in this podcast so far. You get Alan going, nah, <laughs> that seems to pop up in quite a few episodes. Um, so he's happy to let them wait. He's cool with being late. He makes the audience wait at least another 30 seconds. Um, and also he thinks he's being really rebellious, but he neatly spits his gum into a hanky and pockets it instead of obviously spitting it out onto the floor which is what a truly rebellious school kid would do so maybe the doc martins aren't being that effective after all um but yeah with, with the beginning of the speech you notice he says i threw my chair onto a jacket <laughs> brilliant <laughs> a few little things like that and yet then yeah the opening gambit is about an hd tv um i really enjoyed that He's there to give a talk on broadcasting and TV, and he literally starts with the functions of a TV set. <laughs> um, quite funny towards the end of it. Well, the, the fact that he mixed up the chair and the jacket is quite telling because mm. he ends this tale by yeah. showing off about his kind of word perfect tomorrow's world, today's world joke, which I'm sure in real life he fluffed tremendously. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then obviously he legged it at the end, went back for his jacket, legged it again. So he's he's left his jacket. Um, and then I thought, as well as all of this, yeah, the Tomorrow's World, Today's World gag is, is quite well worded. I can see why he'd be proud of himself. But no one in that class would have heard of Tomorrow's World. Came off TV like 15 oh, years ago, didn't God, it? that's a really good point, yeah. Um, has anybody got the line? Does anybody want to give it a oh, go? About... Can I can I do it? Because I've got it. I, please, this is, this is one of my favourite... Yeah. I don't know why, but this bit really tickled me, and it's one of my favourite bits of the city. It's b brilliant delivery, and it's... Uh, he goes, he does the tirade on uh, on Tomorrow's World, whatever that is. I haven't got that written down. Um, I'd probably mess it up like Alan probably did in, in re reality. doesn't quite work. Anyway, he goes... 
ridden me that, you nutters, and I legged it. Went back for my jacket, and I legged it again. <laughs> oh, I would no, love... Tom, I wanted, I wanted you to do yes, yesterday, today was tomorrow, but tomorrow, today will be yesterday. Oh, no, I would have fluffed that. <laughs> That's uh, what I was going also, for. Also, I didn't want to write it down, because it would have meant, like, listening to it, and then noting it down, and probably getting it wrong, having to go back and listen to it again, and just, like, blah, 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 blah. But I just do like the... I love the mental image of him legging it off stage. Riddle me that, you nutters, legging it off stage, yeah. and then immediately realising that he's forgotten his jacket, having to go back for it, probably to, like a smattering of applause if that and he's if out that. of there I also enjoyed the bit when he's going through everything a TV presenter might need to know uh, he references dealing with that woman from compliance not the first time she's been referred to mm-hmm. and I would assume not the first time he's had run-ins with compliance and also just the uh, going through the simulation of the auto cue did you note his examples um, start off with pretty standard things like wrong camera we've lost VT but then it's look more concerned stop waffling and the real kicker here make her cry <laughs> the, the, the way the whole thing is written it reminded me a lot of I'm Alan Partridge where he hosts the afternoon in the Linton Travel Tavern and the subjects and the topics that he's talking about are so irrelevant for the audience that he's trying to address you know when he's kind of talking mm. about hostage situations and the politics of Northern <laughs> Ireland you're like these are so irrelevant and off brief and even though these are tangentially related to what he's supposed to be talking about he's essentially fluffed the brief isn't he about what he should be talking about to the kids i think quite a nice little summary with uh, which i think is great scripting here as well he starts off by telling us that the talk went brilliantly and by the end he says not an ideal ending but went quite well so he's already <laughs> downgrading it as he retells it I um I wonder if the um make her cry is a callback to Sandra Peaks in Knowing Me Knowing You uh, radio. I wonder mm, if that, that... I, I don't remember that as being a specific instruction from Ianucci's producer character, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility. It's similar, that that is isn't a, it? It's very similar, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, I think that's kind of everything I got for this episode. Does anybody have anything else to add in? General thoughts on it? I I really enjoyed it. I feel like it's pretty good, but I do feel like. Um, the first four episodes were a very strong open and now we're kind of treading water a little bit. Especially the, the fact that this is effectively the, the, the plot point here of, of going into school to deliver a talk is recycled 100% from a very well-known previous Partridge. I guess I just feel like uh, the um, examples when he throws to Twitter are kind of a clever um, piece of writing but also a bit of an easy get out to just you know throw some fairly ridiculous ideas out there but maybe that's where the comedy lies. Have you seen Twitter? <laughs> well, I guess the thing is, having introducing that as a concept means they they could insert a kind of two or three minute bit of chat, which could be about anything by having the conceit of it's it's an idea from Twitter. Is is that kind of what you mean? Yeah, essentially, it does fit the format though of the show. Yeah, I would say. So from him legging it out of the classroom to him <laughs> going for a run because he cares about himself and wants to look good for women, uh, we're on to episode seven, which is titled Storm. Come rain or shine, he runs like a bastard. <laughs> uh, I was very excited um, when at the opening of this episode that it was going to be an Alan running episode because I'm quite into running myself. And there actually is a podcast I listen to called Running Commentary in which two people actually they they record themselves running having conversations so i thought great that's going to be the the conceit for the whole episode here it's going to be alan running for 20 minutes let's see what kind of hilarious scrapes he gets himself into but obviously that isn't really how things transpire i think we all knew where this was going when he started running i think (laughs) 
was going to say, when you listen to running commentary, do they ever collapse into uncontrollable wheezing after about six minutes? Or <laughs> uh, no, is that I just can't say they an have. exclusive? <laughs> Um, so ju- just to skip back slightly, you've, you've got him talking about uh, dating profiles because obviously he's talking about wanting to look good uh, being single. Uh, what One of the things he says, uh, he that he can, looks good in a tight polo neck tucked into a belted trouser. Now, Tom Stab, as our resident polo neck wearer, have you ever tried a polo neck tucked into a belted trouser? I've definitely tried it, as in... I've, um, did you pull it off? I've, did it I've, work? Well, I've looked in front of the mirror and gone, tucked in or untucked? Tucked in or untucked? It depends on uh, what belt I'm wearing, to be honest. Do I want people to right. get a peek at the belt? And if, yeah. uh, if if I want people to get a peek okay. at the belt, then mm-hmm. it might get a little... What's called mm-hmm. a, a French tuck? Have you heard of a French oh, yeah. tuck? Mm-hmm. Where yep. you just tuck the yep. front bit just a little in a little bit? You're listening to Fashion Tips with Tom Stapp. <laughs> so, new regular feature. What I'm, what I'm hearing is that rather than being an Andrew Marr or a Jeremy Vine, you're more of a Hugh Edwards who claims he can put it off, but he can't. Uh, excuse Ooh. me. Controversial. <laughs> That's low, Adam. That's what you just said. <laughs> no, I, no, I said if I, if, if, if I want people to see the belt, if I'm wearing my nice belt, then a little French tuck, in it goes. Little tease, little belt tease. <laughs> little belt okay. tease. Back to the running. Back to the running. No, let's talk about uh, belts for up half up, an hour. <laughs> what I picked up on here, I think there is quite a nice little giveaway that Alan is not the seasoned runner he likes to make out. So, yes, at the very top of the episode, he says he runs three mornings a week, come rain or shine, running like a bastard. Rain, but or, then he rain talks or shine, about, important to know. Yeah. Oh, abso- absolutely. Doesn't yeah, matter what absolutely. the conditions are. Yeah. Um, so he says that he uh, is wearing a hoodie. Now, I would argue, as someone who is semi-serious about running, that you probably wouldn't actually go running in a hoodie. And I have a real bugbear. You see this all the time in Hollywood films. Every time you see a character in a film going out for a run, they're wearing, like, heavy GT cotton clothing, like hoodies, sweaters, jogging bottoms. But that actually isn't what people do in real life. They're wearing some kind of moisture-wicking T-shirt. Are you saying Hollywood (laughs) films aren't representative of reality? That is correct, Nick. Well, well done picking up Does on that. Does he not but say no, later I, I, on that he's got a new Asics running top? Yeah, but he says it's a hoodie. And I just think, who goes running in a hoodie? Well, presumably somebody who takes most of their life lessons, as we've seen in previous episodes, from Hollywood films. So maybe this is well, it. He's, exa- exactly, he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's picked up your bugbear and he's just here. He, he's he's yeah. dressing like the stars of running. And dude. it's normally yes. a grey one, so it shows off the sweat. So it shows the sweat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly that. Yeah, um... And that, that totally that that's his reference points are basically what he's seen in films. Uh, but I just think that's a nice little giveaway that if you're if you're kind of a bit attuned to it, you're probably going to go, yeah, there's no way he knows what he's doing. Obviously not a surprise. So he starts running at about two, two and a half minutes into the episode. I think in the running time of the episode, two minutes later, he stopped running. Um, he talks about um, <laughs> he has now free reign to run across the potatoes of a neighbouring farmer because he was going to basically dob in that he'd use an EEC grant to buy himself a jag. Uh, <laughs> did you guys spot a mention of Sally Gunnell as can, well? Can we also just flag it's, it's not called the EEC as well, it's, it's the EU. The EEC doesn't exist. It's a back to, it's a it's an old it's a dated reference. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also, I was I was listening back to this and I was trying to work out when he starts running. I don't think he starts running until much later. Like it doesn't sound like he's running at all until about four minutes into the episode. I mean, it might um, be one for the fact cave if we can be bothered yeah. to cross check it. But like, no, I, I, was I think to... I think he starts at like two and a half minutes. 
Uh, I can can only assume that Sally Gunnell uh, was lying when she agreed that there's poetry to his running, or he's just said that and she never actually uh, said it. Um, One thing we we, we skipped a little bit, I quite enjoyed Alan's honesty where he says he's going for a run because he cares about himself and he wants to look good for women, uh, but have to disagree on uh, on personal experience grounds that after marriage, most women don't care if their men look unappealing. (laughs) I also like that he uses as examples of physical prowess, rippling legs or a beefy arm, singular. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I would also say, as someone who has had some um, experience with uh, dating apps, that people often, you know, say... Oh, you know, witty, funny, intelligent, creative, yada yada yada, and you think, yeah, yeah, that's that's all good and well, but basically, do you have a big beefy arm to fall back on? That's that's what they really want to see, <laughs> which I don't. <laughs> or rippling legs, but I, I've got some wit, <laughs> some wit. Mm, they listen to the podcast. <laughs> and to, to be to be fair to Coogan, he does have rippling legs, doesn't he? Because there's that, uh, the video of where he's stripped off outside the host house. His legs are absolutely massive. So, Tom, I'm going to do some live calculation here. What time do you reckon he starts running in the episode? I thought it was about two and a half minutes in. Two and a half minutes, and he stops running about four minutes into the episode. And I I also have a note that he's starting to suffer trying to present and run at the same time about three minutes in. So I'm just trying to do a rough rough calculation as to how far he's actually run. So two (laughs) two and a half minutes in. Let's. Do you reckon? What do you reckon in terms of sort of pace? Do you reckon he's doing about ten minute miles, eleven minute miles? I think I think he's not. He he's not going to be an experienced runner. It's going to be about ten minute miles. Ten minute miles. Just a disclaimer. There's nothing wrong with that. I also run that side very often. (laughs) (laughs) He's running for about two and a half minutes. I'm interested to see how this calculation works out because I believe he does actually say how long he's run or, or, or it can be worked out from the audio of the episode itself. So I reckon he's done about 0.25 miles. What's that in K? That's probably, what, about <laughs> not, just Gosh. under half? Yeah. Oh, uh, OK. I've, I've got it down that he got 3K into that run uh, and had to abandon the other... That's what he other... says. Oh, I see. OK. And then he well... yeah, has to has to abandon the other 12k he had planned in inverted commas <laughs> but i guess the thing is has has it been edited i mean i don't li- the way that we hear it i don't think it has been edited i think he's literally run for two minutes and stopped yeah so i've done a quick listen and i must admit i hadn't really noticed or made note of this but he's kind of almost like midway through a point that he's making and then he just seems to sort of start running and, br- and break out and he's almost immediately out of breath before he's even started yeah. so <laughs> he starts running and then the wheezing kind of kicks in and the heavy breathing uh, it's around the sort of 140 mark that it starts okay um, important to note that he then doesn't run or even walk home, despite uh, saying he runs in rain or shine. Uh, he gets an Uber. <laughs> uh, yeah. And there's a nice nice bit of chat about Alan's attitude towards Uber scoring and Uber drivers, which I thought was fun. I think yes. I've, got, I've got a couple of points on running before, before we get into that. Uh, you know, he talks about the book, What I Talk About When I Talk About Running, a book by uh, Murakami, which is widely considered to be... Uh, very respected and, and great book uh, in the world of running. I enjoyed the way that he he's taken judging a book by its cover to the next step. Um, he's judging it by its title and an Amazon review alone. Terrible title, a book I've not read. Um, and yeah, when he says, I'm not aware of any shortness of breath or a pounding head or screaming muscles, I feel like I'm floating. I think we know it's the opposite. Um, <laughs> and when he goes to jump over a wall, I was... Partly disappointed yeah, that he didn't fall, but the equally they have better. done that gag in episode two, so it would have just been a bit of a repetition, I guess. So 
I think it's for the best they didn't go that route. Uh, an interesting throwaway line as well when he says that country file presenters will admit on the download to him that they can't work out when a cow is going to move. <laughs> like that's something that would be a source of great shame for the presenters of country file. Yeah, and actually this also links back quite nicely to episode two because in episode two he was praising nature and now he's blaming it for ruining the podcast you moo they moo you moo they moo saying the mother of all storms was coming in and that the rain was deafening arguably the rain is more audible in the uber than it was whilst he was out running as well and and to be clear in the uber it sounds very light and very much like you could run it um i would also just say in relation to alan's um rating system for um uber drivers i am largely with him so whilst i personally wouldn't agree that broadly you stop at four surely just go up to five uh i would agree that silence is something that i cherish and would score highly for a little bit of silence in the car uh, so to elaborate on that scoring system, uh, he and the driver reveal their scores for each other at the same time. The driver gave Alan five. Alan gave the driver four. Uh, he says four is for a pleasant car, a friendly banter, but five is uh, marked by help with bags, silence throughout, and no problem finding Radio 4. Uh, so I thought, uh, a quick question to the group, what's five stars for you, uh, and what's your worst cab experience? Either or. <laughs> uh, I'll go first. I think I'm I'm mostly with Alan on this one. I think mm. silence is absolutely golden. When it, if it's silence, it's automatically five stars. I don't want to have a conversation in a cab. I just want to get home. It's normally in the evening, so I'm just desperate to get home. Don't talk to me. Ideally, I put on my headphones and put on a podcast, and <laughs> I think I've been marked down on that. <laughs> because I don't know about you, we could compare our Uber scores right now live. Oh, that could be fun. Well, whilst we're doing that, I'll I, take a quick look. I would, I would also say that I personally look for um, windows that I can um, adjust, so I, I can move the windows up or down. Uh, a passenger seat that's been pushed far forward, so I have maximum legroom. Um, access to free beverages. Sometimes you will get a bottle of water um, oh, yes. and boot privileges. I'm happy to put my bag in there myself, but I would like boot privileges. And uh, the only conversation I personally would entertain is. Um, do you want to hear the radio? If so, what station? Otherwise, silence, please. What's what's boot boot privileges? What do you mean uh, by that? Pop pop my You're bag. You're allowed to use the boot. Put my bag on my shopping in the boot. Why would you not be allowed to use the boot? Um, well, it's not happened, but I'm just saying I, 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 I like boot privileges, and that comes. You want boot privileges you'd down yeah. if they were withdrawn. Yeah, yeah if he's like, oh, um, I've got a you know bloody tire in the boot, and you have to put it on the back seat. Like that's fine, but it's going to affect the score. <laughs> I, I would say my worst uh, cab experience was uh, getting a getting a cab uh, with a friend who had had a little too much to drink. Uh, immediately on entry to the cab, she vomited on the floor of the vehicle, and I then had to spend the rest of the journey trying to keep the vomit out of the driver's rearview mirror eyeline uh, <laughs> until we could get out and escape. <laughs> How is your wife? I, uh, despite all of that, I am confident that your Uber rating is higher than mine. <laughs> Uh, I'm happy to start the start the proceedings if you like. I have a, I would say a regal four point eight six. Ooh. Um, shall I go next? I've I've got a four point six seven. Nick, uh, I've got four point seven five. Yeah, mine's the lowest. I knew it would be. Mine is three point. No, it's not really. Uh, it's. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 4.56 which is staggering because I've never been aggressive never thrown up in a cab never been ha- like I don't I, I'm I'm genuinely <laughs> hang on a minute um, what, what about that time we oh, booked yeah. a cab yeah that was that one yeah. <laughs> I've seen you being aggressive in a cab uh, I was not being aggressive I was being firm there is a difference 
But he should have been firm with you, given you made the mistake I'm, and you pinned it on I'm, him. I'm, I, I fully hold my hands up. I was completely wrong. I was in the wrong. <laughs> yeah. uh, just to fill listeners in, Tom Stab once lambasted a cab driver for, I would say, up to 15 minutes for going to the wrong place before realising that it was he who had supplied the incorrect destination. Right, so... And, right. Right. The the, no, and it was no, very much a great real-life example. It's like being in the cab again. When... <laughs> no... <laughs> Yeah, with Alan saying, I am your patrol leader, it was Tom saying, you will take me to my destination. To be fair, we were all absolutely battered. Um, No, what happened was we were meant to go to Old Street and I put into the cab OL and an address popped up and I was like, yeah, that's Old Street. Press the thing. We, in fact, went to uh, Old Bond Old Bond Old Bond Street, which was about... 40 metres away, but because of roadworks, it took about 20 minutes. Oh, it was longer than that. Yeah, because you had I'm to go sure. around a one-way system. Yeah. I'm sure it was longer than 20 minutes. Time slows down when you're hammered. We were absolutely boozed, though. Yeah. I um, mean, so I can't be knocked down from just because of the... Anyway, move on. Much like us stretching out this episode with uh, long uh, passages yes. about Uber, uh, Alan now throws in lots of pauses to stretch out the episode, uh, but it's a bit of a having your cake and eating it moment mm. uh, where not not only is he saying, oh, I could, you know, I could, people have accused me of putting pauses in to bulk out the content because I'm no longer running, which was going to be the plan for this episode. And then he goes on to do a load of long pauses. And it's something they've done in the books. And it is funny to yeah. an extent, but I do think there's a little bit of a, well, this is also the writers trying to get this over the 20-minute mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I did think uh, ex- I've got exactly the same notes. Basically, that it's that uh, yeah, it's having his cake and eating it because he gives an example of a pause which isn't a waste of time, and then one which is a waste of time. You could you could see the gag coming a mile off. I think it's fine, but equally, yes, we've seen this done with word count in the books as well. Um, just before that happens as well, did you guys make a note that he we get Alan's kind of deep South American voice makes a return as as seen uh, when talking about reading Simon Heffer on the veranda when he's talking about uh, seldom cowering under a nest of tables. That dog ain't no pussy don't scare for nobody. <laughs> yeah. He's got Love a whole little cast of voices, hasn't he? That. Yeah. Um, I was quite uh, taken as the uh, as as a new father, quite in, enamoured with his white noise app, um, mm. especially the fact that it comes with a food processor sound, uh, the sound of a floor being swept by a quiet cleaner, and crucially, uh, unauthorised recording of Noel Edmonds' helicopter uh, wood purchase. Also, I think it's very important to stress that it's not white noise; it's white noise. <laughs> I've got course. to get that H on front. Um, I thought at this point, I, I've just got in my notes that he's basically just narrating a storm, and I thought, is that better than laughing at weather? Because if not, he needs to make an apology to Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the way he downgrades a storm quite quickly. It goes from cricket balls to fat peas. Quite a size difference there. Is it? Oh, on the hail description, yeah. Oh, what, yeah. The, the white, the white meatballs. <laughs> yeah. It go- so yeah, he describes the hail as cricket balls, then it's fat peas, then it's white meatballs. <laughs> Uh, but either way, it's uh, troubling enough that he has to use a green laundry basket to shield from the hailstones like a turtle. Um, and he says it's like being pelted with conkers by God. Or I guess like being pelted with hailstones by God, arguably. <laughs> I think that uh, speaking of things that are troubling, uh, I really enjoyed hearing from Leonard in Wandsworth Prison um, Mm. when Alan asked on Twitter about old-fashioned keep-fit techniques. Um, He says that Leonard in Wandsworth Prison basically blamed the lack of exercise in his life for him turning to a life of crime, but then once released, he did return to crime and did a murder. Um, But it's okay because he spent that time wisely in prison, bulking up, and now he's the daddy and no one fucks with him. (laughs) Great payoff. (laughs) 
But well, well there, there, there's then the, the PS to that as well, that he says he's delighted the BBC uh, took Alan back into the fold. He's a reassuring, steady hand in an otherwise volatile world. And I was kind of surprised because Alan actually doesn't just take the compliment on face value. He fesses up that he's kind of baffled by this, this tweet and calls him an odd fish. I, I would expect Alan to just say, you know, thanks very much, you think I'm a great broadcaster. So it's quite a, quite a subtle change in character there. Mm, I guess it's probably because Leonard is a convicted murderer. I mean, it is baffling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and psychopath. Yeah. I mean, doesn't he say something like, well done on your new... Um, yeah. Your new appointment. Or yeah, something, yeah, yeah. Like, like he's basically had a promotion, which I thought was <laughs> yeah. a lot of fun. Um, and so the, the reason that Alan did that, uh, that Twitter call-out was about... Um, people doing kind of newfangled types of exercises. So he talks about hot yoga, which Nick and Stab, I believe you're fans of or Ooh, have yes. participated in. Love a hot uh, yoga, love a pod yoga. Yeah, I've not done it. I, not hot yoga. Oh, okay. I have, I have, just, seen, just I have normal, seen... Normal temperature yoga. Yeah, yeah, just room temperature yeah. yoga for me. So what about Zumba? Has anybody ever done that? I'm not sure I even know what that is. No, that's the other thing he references. It, I haven't. Known. I have not done it. It's It's... It's a it's a brand of dancing, isn't it? In the same way that Bikram is a brand of you know hot yoga. It's a type of like aerobics, essentially. Uh, okay. So Zumba, Zumba is a brand name, like Tanoi or B- right. B- Bikram. So so monkey tennis Zumba dance class. Uh, yeah, only if. Uh, yeah, I mean just <laughs> yes. If... <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've, re- I've retracted my condition that I was going to say. Uh, and just, <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, no. Now we yes. have to hear it. Yes. Uh, time to hear from Christy, isn't it? It is. Um, she says that you never see James Bond go to a toilet. It's off topic, but uh, Alan runs with it, it um, yeah. suggesting perhaps he uses a catheter. Um, but you can't fight with a big bag of piss tied around your waist. Also, it's a fair point. point. And it's worth remembering as well that this 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 feature in this call out was about you know um, harking back mm. to bygone days of how you worked out essentially before technology kind of came along and changed everything. And we've heard from a convicted murderer and someone that thinks that James Bond had a catheter. <laughs> or, or that's what Alan kind of suggests. But all of these are completely off topic and in no way relate to what the original kind of, you know, question was. Yeah, which is bang on for his listenership, oh, I yeah. think. Um, he's now distracted by the noise, the sound of Rosa singing, which sets up I think probably one of the best jokes in certainly in this episode. Yeah, uh, may, maybe at all so far. Um, so he—it's just the lengths he goes to before we discover mm. the, the payoff. The lengths he goes to to describe what he's hearing from Rosa, the kind of his flight of fancy. I mean, we've seen this before, where he kind of he, he imagines a, a massive convoluted scenario that turns out to be all in his head. But he's talking about the fact that he expects that she's singing Filipino music. Um, it makes him realise he knows almost nothing about her. And I've got a few notes of, of things that he said. He said it has a wonderful haunting quality. It's like a lament for a lost love, uh, a tale of a sailor and a seamstress, perhaps, and like a song siren song calling uh, him to his death so the context here is she's singing because she thinks that alan isn't home i noticed something a very small um detail in the script that alan talks about lynn that he found her practicing things to say to a bishop and then wiping off lip- lipstick which was very unseemly so that's another instance lynn was at his house and didn't realize he would be there but did you notice he says i found my assistant lynn is that the first time he's actually called her my assistant Lynn instead of either Lynn or my assistant? I feel like we've never actually heard those two things uh, in a phrase together from Alan. Quite possibly a world first. <laughs> I don't think we've got time to quickly trawl through the hours and hours and hours, pages and pages and pages of Partridge to sense check well, it. Well, we, we already have, Nick. That's the good news. It's a first. 
Uh, so he believes that uh, Rosa came to dry off on the radiator of Norfolk. Uh, her song has reminded him about something that we often forget, he says, that cleaners are people. Um, and uh, and he says, that, you know, you, you don't think to ask your cleaner how they are or how, how's their health. But we know that he has referred in the past to awkwardly asking his cleaner about how her mother's chemo was going. Um, mm. I think he mentions it in this time and one of the books as well. So he does have difficulty in, in, in knowing what is and isn't. Uh, uh, the right thing to say to mm. his cleaner. But we know that after he and Sonia split up, Sonia was employed as his cleaner. So I wonder, has his history of cleaners gone from Sonia straight to Rosa? So would that mean Sonia was the ill cleaner or was there another one in between? I don't I don't think we'll get clarity on that. Also, the you know, the idea of a cleaner to Alan is very much a master and servant relationship. Mm. Whereas if you've ever had a cleaner, it's just common courtesy to ask, you know, say hello, how are you? You know, ask them some general questions to make sure that, you know, if you have a regular cleaner, like you, you it's just a normal person would kind of build up a relationship with them, you know, ask them questions about themselves, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas Alan just sees it as like, I am the master, you are the servant. I don't need to talk to you. Come in and basically wash my car house post house <laughs> or, if they, or if they say hello mr allen happy new year you just reply the downstairs toilet needs cleaning <laughs> See, seems yeah. fair perfectly regular conversation um and yeah he says that all of this uh, hearing her haunting song has reminded him that there's more to her than just a difficult to spell name on a zero hours contract <laughs> uh, and then of course there's the payoff that he thinks she's been singing go compare and it's actually the go compare music uh, <laughs> which is great um, I mean, I did, I did see this one coming. I think that that it was going to be some sort of pop song or something very obvious oh, that she was singing. Yeah, I, I was a bit. It, it took. I think on first listen, because when you can hear her in the background and you can't really make out what she's singing, I, w- I was kind of like trying to increase the volume, trying to figure out if there was a very obvious pop song that she's kind of singing out of key, and obviously it isn't quite that. So, what I did think was good about the Go Compare payoff was. I don't think anybody would have predicted that was what it was going to be. It's only after he's repeated go compare mm. enough times and sped <laughs> it up that you can kind of see where it's going. So, yeah, I thought that was that was a brilliant, brilliant end gag to the episode. Agreed. Well, I think the, the kind of the ultimate uh, end gag, almost like this, similar to the previous episode where, you know, he kind of finishes and then runs off and then realises he's forgotten his coat. Here we have something similar where he just goes and shouts out to Rosa, Rosa, I'm here upstairs. Keep it down, love. <laughs> Having got <laughs> two minutes ago had a sort of you know a realization that you know these are people with feelings and you can speak to them and you know have a kind of relationship with them and suddenly he's just like yeah master servant keep it down i'm in here i think it's also quite impressive that when he depicts this kind of imagined romantic tale of love lost it's quite evocatively done and uh, it's probably much better than his hollywood film ideas that we've had in episode two for example it feels like he's he's improvising it and it has better substance than film ideas that he's had for ages as well which mm, i definitely thought, better yeah, there's probably about two than, minutes of describing it definitely better than license to kill malware <laughs> oh I, I don't know i'm still keen to watch that what, with brian bond um, <laughs> so i have got uh three more things to go through uh i've got a rosa theory to to dwell on here so when we covered uh, this time with Alan Partridge and we talked about the fact that there is a woman visible in the window of Denton Abbey, which you see actually in Scissor Isle and this time, I can't remember if we, I, I couldn't remember if we actually nailed a definitive answer on this or at least what we thought was the best case scenario. Is it possible that Rosa the Cleaner is who we've seen in the window in those instances? Yes. 
Mm. And I think that will mean that the um, the timeline of cleaners goes Sonia in the house that he moves into when he moves out of the static home. Yeah. Um, because their breakup is imminent at the end of Iron Man and Partridge yeah. Series 2 because she wants to move in and he doesn't want her to. Um, but he will visit as a cleaner. Then I think he goes to Denton Abbey and that's when the Rosa years begin. And then he brings yeah. her with him to the Oast House. Yeah. That's, that's my theory. So does that mean Rosa's... Was it, would it be Rosa's mother having chemo? Is that, was that what it was in the script then? Yeah, potentially. I yeah. Mean, he's, he's, he, Rosa would have been his cleaner at the time he says that, but also he could be referring back to a previous cleaner. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, is cleaner it the mother's watch. cleaner or the cleaner? I've got confused now. Anyway, d- doesn't matter. Um, cookability. Is it time to reveal the cookability gag? Yes, I did enjoy that. Um, so, cook, cook, cookability, that's the beauty of gas. Um, did anyone get that reference at all? No, Not... I had no idea what that was. I think it's prior no. to my uh, era. Yeah, so... and I would say that I, there's, I think there's an extra layer to the gag which I didn't realise until I googled it today as well. So first of all, did anyone count how many time, how many people uh, uh, wrote in to say that the answer is gas, and how many Alan reads out? I had uh, 16. Yeah, I had 16. Although some 16. of them weren't clear if they were together or, or separate. But I think it's 16 names read out. I but it, that's another well. nice example of not time wasting, but definitely time wasting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it appears to be from a series of mid 80s adverts for British gas. But Tom, have you not got the kicker here? The, it looks like the first advert was fronted by Edmunds. Ah, nice. no, I didn't see that. I, I I watched a couple of the adverts, but I didn't see the one that had Edmonds in it. Oh wow! See that that's weird because literally when when I searched the phrase, that's the first thing that came up. It was a YouTube video uh, hosted by Edmonds. It's basically it's so weird. There's everybody in like a disco in like a late uh, like sure. an early eighties disco, and they're singing cook cook cookability whilst Edmunds is up front like it's a top of the pops episode or something it's so weird oh well we'll definitely put that on our socials yeah, yeah but but you know I, I just love the fact i had no idea there was an Edmunds payoff to be found there so that that's good i like to imagine that in 25 years time people will be looking back incredulously at snoop dog fronted just eat adverts in a similar way yes <laughs> somebody say just eat <laughs> Are you being served? Not without, not without a sponsorship deal. They didn't, Tom. <laughs> Seriously, just eat. Do get in touch. Um, cool. Well, I think that's. I think that's pretty much everything I've got for that episode. Does anybody have anything else? Only that I felt this was a bit of a, a diluted episode, a little bit weaker. Although I did enjoy the Rosa payoff at the end, uh, and I, I look forward to her appearing again in future episodes. I've not listened beyond this one yet, but I'm hoping for more Rosa. Would it, would it be fair to say, I think it probably applies to both the episodes we've covered today, it's almost like they're kind of, not half-formed, but in essence, when you boil down what the episode is really supposed to be about and covering, it's only about half the episode duration that really does that, and then they just do go off on these tangents, whether it's Twitter things or just Alan describing something in his childhood. So I, I don't know whether, would they feel better if they doubled down a bit more on what they were supposed to be about or do you think I, that doesn't think, matter because that's kind of the joke i think there's a hefty dose of that's the joke but yeah. i do think that that is a joke that's been repeated again and again now not just in in oast house episodes but also in nomad um i think i think almost with things like nomad it felt like it was getting in the way of the comedy that they had to cover a journey at all and so mm. i do quite like the freewheeling nature of the oast house episodes but again it is becoming a bit of a formula of like it's supposed to be about something and then it's derailed for 20 minutes. And, and I feel like actually it could work quite well that the school speech episode, it 
you know, I would have loved to hear the recording of that speech or maybe you get some kind of on-location interviews, Alan with trying to interact with some kids and trying to be cool and that blowing up in his face and with with this episode Storm, if it actually had been about running the whole way through, kind of what they could have done to play around with that. So, But then I, I guess, I don't know, actually may, maybe they did kind of workshop those sort of things and they weren't going to work for a 20, 25-minute episode. I guess there are so many different things you could do with it because the format is kind <clears> of limitless. So it's it's hard to kind of... I guess it's a bit unfair to go, oh, well, idea X would have been better because you don't know that for sure. I also think, I think it sounds like me and Adam are on the same page that I haven't actually finished this. So we're kind of, it would be easier to look back on it and kind of, you know, comment on the whole kind of piece. Whereas at the moment we're kind of consuming it um, piecemeal. So I haven't heard the kind of the, the complete um, recordings yet. But I know what you mean in terms of it sometimes feels a little bit ill-disciplined because there isn't a rigid narrative that they kind of need to adhere to. But it does give them free license to cover Mm. anything and everything that most of the time really works but there are a few pockets where it just loses a little bit of focus and this felt like an episode where it did that a little bit yeah and i think adam's right of like saying to quote adam this is a hefty slice of that's the joke but that's you know that i guess that's kind of staying true to the character if it was too regimented and too thought out and too um, structured that wouldn't be Alan because we know how haphazard he is and how things always mm. tend to go wrong and how yeah he will promise one thing and then it ends up being something completely different so it's definitely true to the character but I guess the question is does that mean that the comedy is sacrificed maybe in parts but I do think the two episodes we've covered today are really really strong I'd say like 85% of it 90% of it is is good I've really enjoyed these two episodes personally um, so we'd be very keen to hear your thoughts if you've already been through uh, the Oast House episodes on Audible. Do get in touch uh, on Instagram. It's at Monkey Tennis Pod. On Twitter, at The Partridge Pod. Facebook.com slash The Partridge Pod. The Partridge Pod at gmail.com. And you can leave a voice note on our WhatsApp uh, Monkey Tennis hotline 07923 600 and potentially be part of a future episode. And if you've been enjoying our content, for free I might add, uh, and want to uh, shout us a cup of coffee to show your appreciation, you can also do that at uh, uh, ko-fi.com slash Monkey Tennis. Uh, it's £3 for a coffee, or why not shout all five members of the team, including producer Jared a coffee, for just £15. He doesn't want to live on handouts, he just wants to coffee himself to a better life. Uh, <laughs> so from all of us at Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge Fan Podcast, thanks and goodbye. Bye. Go compare. Go compare. Go compare. And this is the beauty of podcasting, the freedom of the medium. Go compare. Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. Fireworks. Don't muck about. Trees are my pawn. Monkey tennis. Ready, steady, fuck off. Scratch me. Are you being served? Monkey tennis. Excuse me, your dog's taken my dog's stick. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Monkey tennis. Yup, absolutely. Yup, 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 absolutely. Generally, I think new ideas are bad. Monkey tennis. Why not consider chips? You must come and stay in the barn. Fuck off. Riddle me that, you nutters. Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Nah. Monkey tennis? From the Oast House. Keep it down, love. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.